Hebrews chapter 11 tonight is where we're going to be. It is a familiar passage. It's a familiar chapter. But nothing wrong with that. I like familiarity, and there's always something new to learn, and the Lord has definitely showed me some new things and taught me some things, and so we're just going to share those tonight. Uh, this is typically called the uh, chapter on faith. It is the hall of faith. We see in here the heroes of faith. And uh, I love looking at heroes. I love having heroes to look up to that aren't sports heroes, that aren't uh, the worldly kind of, uh, you know, the latest person on YouTube or the latest this or that, but they're heroes of faith. And uh, these are really some great men and women in this chapter. We could go all through and look at all these great men and women, uh, starting with Abel, going to Enoch, going to Noah and his family, then to Abraham, and it goes on and on, just these great men of faith. But really, this chapter isn't about these great men. It's about a great God. It's about a great God. And this is the God that, of faith that just changed these individuals, these ordinary people, became extraordinary because of an extraordinary God. So the chapter is all about God. And what's interesting to me is that it's not just individuals either. We see actually in here three different families are part of this chapter. Uh, if you look at Noah, Noah being warned of God in verse number 7, uh, of things not yet seen, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. His whole family became part of that faith. If you jump down to the end of the chapter, you're going to see Moses. Uh, and verse number 23, let's look at that. Verse number 23. For by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents. So his parents passed on that faith. You see the family of Noah, you see the family of Moses, and then right in between, from verses 8 all the way to verse 22, we're going to see the family of Abraham. And Abraham built a household of faith. He built a household of faith. And the thought occurred to me, could I put my name in there? Look at verse number 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go... And the verse goes on. Could I put my name in there? Could I say, by faith, David? And then finish out what God has done in my life by faith. Could I fill in the blank? Could I finish out the verse? And if not, what am I missing? How do I get there? How do I become this kind of person that by faith does something for God? How do I build a household of faith? Well, let's just read verses 8 to 10, and that's kind of where our focus is going to be. So let's, let's read these verses together. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should hereafter receive an inheritance, obeyed. He went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling 
in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. We're going to see from the life of Abraham that Abraham's faith created a ripple effect. I know Zachary loves to throw rocks in the pond, right, Zachary? Loves to go out there and throw. How many, how many kids love throwing rocks in the pond? Hey, you guys all. I mean, just, and they got to get the biggest boulder they can, right? Biggest boulder they can. Because why do they love throwing rocks in the pond to see what it does? Boom, it splashes up, and then you see the ripples. And the ripples go out. It, it carries a momentum in the water that pushes out. What's our faith doing, and how is our faith creating a household of faith? God wants to start a life of faith in us, but it, just, it doesn't just start that faith through salvation. It needs to continue on and be passed on. He wants our faith to be much bigger than ourselves, much bigger than the here and now. He wants us to look to a faith way beyond ourselves and pass it on to all those around us. It's interesting that Abraham was dwelling in a tabernacle. He, he, was, he was intense. And yet, he built a household of faith. He built this faith, but he lived intense. His faith was a whole lot bigger than his little life. And he looked for a city, a city that only God could do, something that only God could do. He looked way beyond himself and saw with eyes of faith what could not be seen. He saw what God had prepared for him, that God had prepared for him a city. You know, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, the church is referred to as the household of faith. The household of faith. So we, in here, all right, so everybody look around. Look over at someone else around you. Look, look down the row, not outside your family, all right? Look down the row, outside your family. This is the household of faith. If you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're in the household of faith. So my question for you tonight, and for myself included, is how are we doing at building this household of faith? What do we need to build this household of faith? You know, building a house is not easy, is it? There's a whole lot of steps involved. I've heard from others who have built their own house how difficult that is and what a big process that is and all the decisions involved There's, and things have to happen in just the right sequence, just the right way. What do we need to do that in our lives and how can we carry on this faith? You know, anyone who has a house, uh, you know that it takes a lot of work to maintain it, just to maintain a house. And what happens if you don't maintain it? Things just start falling apart, right? Things get worse and worse. Uh, Proverbs talks about this. Through idleness of the hands, the house drop it through, right? And so we need to maintain this faith. We must not be idle when it comes to our faith. We need to be careful to not let it drift, to not let our faith drift. In fact, that's what Hebrews is talking about here. So let's ask God to help us. Learn from this passage how we can build a household of faith. God, I pray that you'd help us. 
to understand your word and to live it. To let faith grow in our hearts that we as individuals might build a household of faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, I want us to look that we need to have a foundation of faith, a foundation of faith. Verse number 10, Abraham mentions this foundation, for he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker was God. Now, this is obviously speaking of heaven. Abraham was looking towards heaven, and that was actually what his faith caused him to do. That became the object of his faith. What, what we're really talking about here is what brought that foundation of faith to begin with. It's interesting that Revelation, the book of Revelation, talks about uh, that heaven has seven foundations. That's interesting. Too. Or twelve foundations. I'm getting it wrong. Revelation 12, 9. Heaven has twelve foundations. And uh, I think that really sets the, the, the tone of the passage there is that hey, heaven's not changing. Heaven is solid. It's built. It's there forever. It's there for good. And this is a truth of something that we can't see heaven. We don't have eyes to see it. That's why verse number 1 of Hebrews chapter 11 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We haven't seen it, we can't see it, but we can know that it's real. Now we can know that it's there. It's not moving, it's not going anywhere, it's not changing. And it's where, it's where we can go if we'll trust in Jesus Christ by faith. And that's exactly what Mo, or Abraham was looking toward. He was looking towards this city. But how did he get there? How did he lay a foundation of faith to even have that reality set in his heart? Well, the Bible says in Romans ten seventeen. So faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by, right here, the word of God. So Abraham could look with eyes of faith to heaven and say, I know heaven's real because he was basing that on the word of God. His faith was founded in the foundation was the word of God. Let me illustrate it for you and show it to you. I'm going to read the verse and you fill in the blank, okay? I'm going to start in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 9. So you fill in the blank when I pause. For by faith, for you know, let me start again. <laughs> by faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Jump down to verse number thirteen. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. Jump down to verse seventeen. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, of offered up Isaac. And he that received the promises. Was their faith blind? No. This wasn't a blind faith. This wasn't stepping out on nothing. This was stepping out on what God said. The promises of God. So his faith had a foundation of God's word. 
And because of that foundation and faith of God's word, he could see a foundation whose builder and maker was God, heaven. How's our foundation in the word of God? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says, For all the promises of God are in him, are yea, and in him are amen unto the glory of God in us. We need to get built up in the word of God. And by the way, I'm so thankful for a preacher who preaches the truth of the word of God every Sunday and gives us that truth to build ourselves up in the truth of God's promises. God's word from Genesis to Revelation focuses on Jesus Christ and turns our eyes to the author of our faith, Jesus Christ, and the finisher of our faith and what he has done for us throughout all of the ages. And that becomes the object of our faith. So our faith needs this foundation. We can only have a, our faith will only be as strong as the basis of that foundation, which is in the Word of God. The more we're in the Word of God, the more our faith can grow. The stronger our faith can be. The more we neglect God's Word, the weaker our faith will be. It's a direct connection. It's interesting that these all died in faith, verse number 13, not having received the promises. They didn't even see the fulfillment of the promise. They just were told by God the promise. And they obeyed by faith. We now look back and say, yeah, we saw the fulfillment of the promise. We saw exactly what God was doing. Exactly where God was taking Abraham. Exactly the reason why it happened this way and that way. And now we can look back and see that fulfillment. How are we doing at trusting God and his word? God's word is always faithful. He'll never fail us. We can trust him. We can lay that foundation of faith in God's word. Number two, not only do we need to have a foundation of faith in God's word, we need to have a giving faith, a faith that gives, a faith that gives this faith to others. Faith is not meant to be kept to ourselves. You see it all throughout this passage, but look in verse number 9. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob. The heirs with him of the same promise. You see him passing it on to the next generation. Passing it on to those around him. He didn't keep faith to himself. We're all connected to someone. And we need to take that faith that we have and share it with someone around us. This passage goes on to, to talk about all the generations that Abraham passed it on. Not only was it Isaac, not only was it Jacob, so you see Isaac, his son, then Jacob, his grandson, but you go on to this passage and it talks even all the way to Joseph, his great-grandson. Verse number 22, by faith Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel, and he gave commandment concerning his bones. Even on his deathbed, he's passing it on. Look, look back at that with me, actually. Let's turn back to Genesis chapter 50. I love seeing this because this is the last chapter in Genesis. 
And here's Joseph passing on the faith of his father, his grandfather, his great-grandfather. And he's passing it on. Genesis chapter 50, and look with me, if you will, at verse number 24. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you, bring you out of this land, unto the land which he sware to Abraham, and to Isaac, and to Jacob. This doesn't sound like a guy who's down at the end of his life, that he's depressed and sad about him about to die. No, he's looking forward. He's looking ahead, and he's by faith saying, listen, God's going to fulfill his promise. Just like he's promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, he's going to fulfill his promise to you. Wow, what a household of faith that he had built all the way through, carried it on. And it's not just... In certain seasons of his life, it's through every season. This phrase, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is repeated quite often in Scripture because these are the three that God gave his special covenant promise to and saying exactly what he was going to do and build in them uh, a great people and a great nation. And God gave them each that promise individually, but then that promise was carried on to the next generation. It was passed on. It was given to others. The Greeks have a game. It's the Isthmus Games. And one of the traditions that they had was to take a torch. And in a relay fashion would relay that torch from one person to the next and one person to the next. And the phrase was coined from that, let him who has the light pass it on. Let him who has the light pass it on. I think that's a great phrase for us as Christians. Let him who has the light pass it on. Let him who has faith pass it on. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 2. You're in the Old Testament there. Let's turn there real quick. Deuteronomy 6, verse 2. Here we're to pass on the faith. Let me just read it. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and all his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, that thy days may be prolonged. It's interesting, the Bible often couples three generations together. Thou, thy son, thy son's son. Three generations. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Three generations. In fact, when uh, you see this phrase, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's, that's a phrase referred to about ten different times in the New Testament. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Three generations How are we doing at passing it on? When I look at our church, this household of faith, there is no doubt in my mind that God has blessed our church. When you look at the history of our church, where it's come from, 
and the miracles that God has done. And, and I don't use that lightly. They were miracles. And, and the people of faith that have brought our church to this place and this household of faith, and yet it only takes one generation, right? For this to die. What are we doing at preserving that household of faith? Carrying on what God has done for us in the past. Uh, Abraham was a man who passed on his faith. Verse number 10, we see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's listed many times in the Bible, and, and we see it here. In Psalm 47, verse 5, I'm just going to read this. For he established a testimony in Jacob, and it appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children. And God's commanded us to do that as well. To make it known, not just to our children, but to all around us. That every generation would hear the truth of the faithfulness of God and have that kind of faith to live for God. Number three, point number three. Not only do we need to have a foundation of faith, not only do we need to have a faith that's giving faith, but we need to have a doing faith. A faith that's doing something. Every time you come to this passage in this chapter, you see that faith did something. By faith, Abel offered. By faith, Enoch was translated. By faith, and you see, Noah did this. He did something. Then by faith, Abraham. What did he do? Well, he, he left his homeland. He went and did something. He went on in life, and, and later in life, he, he did even more. He sacrificed his, or was willing to sacrifice his own son. He was, by faith, doing these things. What are we doing? What's our venture of faith? He had faith to wait for a baby boy, and then he had faith to being willing to sacrifice that baby boy. Wow. Faith that was willing to do something. The book of James talks about this, and that living faith will be a faith that works, a faith that does something. How's our faith? And what are we doing for God? What's our venture of faith? It's interesting that Abraham had this at every stage of his life, uh, this level of faith. Early on in life, it was to leave his homeland. Later on in life, it was uh, to, to have a child. Then, even beyond that, it was to sacrifice his own son. And it continued all the way to the very end of his life, where he had to have faith to pass it on. Every stage of life and in every area of life, whether things were good, whether things were bad, this faith needed to be doing something. Romans chapter 1, verse 17 says, The just shall live by faith. So what's our faith doing? Can we see with eyes of faith, with an eternal view, to be willing to give up our time, to pour our talent into a work, to let our faith drive us to our knees in prayer, to trust Him, what has our faith compelled us 
to do. Just as we trusted God for salvation, with simple faith in what Jesus Christ had done for us on the cross, we couldn't save ourselves, but He alone could save us. For by grace are you saved through faith. And not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. So it ought to be in our everyday walk with God. That we're simply trusting Him to do for us something bigger than ourselves. To motivate us to step out of our comfort zone to do something for Him. So how's our faith doing? What's the action? And one last point I want to point out here. Abraham had a faith that was valued. Faith that was valued. So he had a foundation of faith. He had a giving faith. He had a doing faith. And he had a valued faith. In each of these verses, you can see that uh, he's blessing. In fact, get to the end of his life and he's blessing others. At his death, he's, he's giving hope. He's speaking hopefully of the future. Isaac, on his deathbed, verse number 20, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both his sons, the sons of Joseph, worshiping, leaning upon the top of his staff. Verse number 22, by faith, Joseph, when he died, he blesses. He, he gives commandment concerning his bones. They're looking towards that future. Well, we need to talk today more about hope, uh, giving others hope. How do we give others hope? We give them the faith that trusts in God. Look at our world around us. And, uh, suicide is up 300% in this generation. Depression is out of control. Maybe blame COVID. I don't know. But it's worse than ever. We're the most medicated generation ever. And we're in a society, in a world that's losing hope because they've lost the reality of what the future can be in Jesus Christ. Let us turn to God by faith and share this faith and pass this faith on with eyes that see hope, the reality of heaven. It's time to get on the construction crew with God and start building the household of faith. There's all sorts of men and women in this faith, faith chapter, and they definitely valued their faith. If you go on to the rest of the chapter and start reading uh, through the rest of it, verse number 33 talks about how much these people valued their faith. The Bible says in verse number 33, "...who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of the weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in faith, turning to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life, others tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mocking, of scourgings, yea, moreover, both of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder. 
They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins, goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. And then verse number 38 gives the description. It says, of whom the world was not worthy. I don't know what God has in store for your life or for my life. I doubt that it has anything to look like any of these. I doubt we're going to see uh, the dead raised to life again. I doubt we're going to see, uh, you know, the cruel mockings and scourgings and the bonds and imprisonment. And I doubt we're going to get sawed asunder. But I know I can have a life of faith. And I know I can build a household of faith with God's help. So how are we doing? Are we building that foundation of faith in God's word? Are we giving that faith to others? Are we, are we having a doing faith that's busy with a venture doing something for God? And are we valuing our faith? Protecting it, guarding it, living in its truth each and every day. Lord, help us trust in you with a faith that's real. I want to do a quick illustration here at the very end. Dr. Allman's coming already, but let me give you an illustration before he comes to the piano. Uh, as I was thinking about this, the story came to mind of Nome, Alaska. How many heard Nome, Alaska? Nome, Alaska? How many of know of the Iditarod that's raised up there? And it made me think of this. It was 1925 up in Nome, Alaska, that there was a dysentery disease outbreak in that little town. Uh, there was about 1,400 people there. One doctor, and things were getting worse. This was a respiratory disease. It, uh, people were having trouble breathing. This is the middle of winter. And uh, as you know, there's not much sunlight up there in the middle of winter, not much daylight time. Uh, and... Uh, the snow had fallen to the point where there's no chance of coming in and out, and uh, they're a thousand miles away from Anchorage. It's the biggest city down south, and there's no chance of getting out of the city. So they just had to quarantine as best they could. This outbreak began to get worse, and so the doctor sent a message on telegraph, and uh, this message was, hey, we need some medicine. We need some help. There was a serum that could help, uh, cure this, but there's no chance of getting it to them. That he sent messages all around and asked them to bring this serum and find a way to get it through. Well, some men got together and said, all right, we can't take it by airplane. It's too cold for that. Ice would freeze on the wings. Can't take it by train. There's no train that'll get up there in this kind of weather. And the only way to do it is that old-fashioned way, the sled dogs. So I guess we're going to have to take it by sled dog. They said, no way you're making it through. There's a storm coming. We're talking 30 to 60 below temperatures. Negative temperatures. You can't even breathe in that kind of temperature. You have to steady your breathing because if you take too deep of a breath, you will freeze your lungs instantly. There's no way you're making it through. But some guys got together and said, hey, we have to. We've got to get through. They took the train as far as they could, but they still had a long ways to go. So 
It was around 20 men that risked their lives to make this trip in 60, in some places it was even 85 degrees below zero. They took off through the wilderness with these sled dogs and it was January 27th, 1925, that 20 men just took off. There was over 150 dogs involved in this whole relay of getting this serum across. It was a little 20-pound bag of medicine. Uh, Leonard Sepal was one of the individuals who made the biggest part of the trip. His epic 91-mile trip was led by his sled dog Togo, and he risked a shortcut over the frozen North Sound. He made it across just ice hours before the icy water cracked and broke up. He took it through the treacherous mountain pass. Two different times his sled was knocked over by the powerful wind. He broke ribs. He had to take his gloves off and pick up the serum out of the snow and put it back on. They had to run beside the sled because if they just stood on the sled, they'd have froze to death on the spot. There were over three dogs that didn't make it. They gave their lives for this, and it's called the Great Race of Mercy. It was the second to last leg. Gunnar Kaysen, he was the one that kind of organized a lot of this, and he was the one that trained a lot of the sled dogs. He was the second to last leg, and the big storm was just then coming through, and they said, don't go. You won't make it. And he said, I've got to go. People are dying. People are dying. We've got to get through. And it was said that he said, people are praying. Back that way, they're praying. And up that way, they're dying. I've got to go. How can I do any less? So some of the bravest words ever said, mush, as he takes off. His lead dog, Balto, takes him to that final checkpoint where he's supposed to pass it along to the next person, and that next person's not ready, and his dogs aren't ready. So he says, all right, I'll take it the rest of the way myself. And he continues on 53 miles until he finally gets there. It had taken five and a half days. Dogs had died along the way from exposure, but finally on February 2nd, at 5.30 a.m., they finally make it. The serum arrived, and they were able to save many people from the disease. As I think about this story and my faith, I have something so wonderful, so precious, I've got God's word that tells me all about heaven and all about how to get there. Jesus Christ, what he's done for me. How can I do any less than to say, I've got to give this out. I've got to share this. I've got to take it to everyone. Because people around me are dying without that truth, without that knowledge, without hope. I've got to take... This faith, and pass it along, we've got to build a household of faith. How are we doing it? Valuing our faith? 
having a faith that's doing something, has a real venture and says, I'm going to go, I'm going to do something for him. Do we have a giving faith? Do we have that foundation of faith? Let's ask God to help us with this tonight. Thank you so much, Lord, for your love for us. Thank you for your word. How clear it is what you've done for us. We did not deserve it, Lord. But you were willing to be the author of our faith, to, to die on the cross for our sins. You were willing to do everything for us. Lord, may we be willing to do all for you. Lord, help us to trust in your goodness, in your greatness, that our faith might bring us to do something for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. and Let's just have Dr. Allman play a little short hymn. Maybe God's been working in your heart in some area. I don't know how he may have been working tonight. But are you building a household of faith? What have you been doing to build that faith? Look, think about this past week. Has your time in God's Word built your faith stronger? Or has it been just let go? Has it just been, well, you know, I had that salvation faith thing back then and you know, that's as far as it needs to go. I'm good enough. I'm, I, you know, I know I'm heading to heaven. I know that's, that's all we need, right? No. You need to be growing your faith every single day. So how's your faith doing? 